0: This is Beyond BC, a podcast illuminating the professional careers and accomplishments for members of the Berkeley Carroll School's alumni community. I'm your host, Tim Quinn, Class of 2005. In this episode, I'll be interviewing Khalid Rahman, Class of 1995. Khalid is a Brooklyn-based stand-up comic who made his late night debut on Conan, and Thrillist recently named him one of the 50 best undiscovered comedians in America. When he's not on stage, Khalid writes for programs and events such as HQ Trivia, the NAACP Image Awards, and Impractical Jokers. He's also the co-host of the FNUP podcast. I remember when we first caught up you told me about the, the story of how you made the career change to becoming a comedian.
1: Sure. And
0: I thought it was a great story. So why don't we kick off with that and tell us about how it all kind of went down.
1: Yeah. Uh, feels like it was yesterday. It was like nine years ago. I was the best man at my best friend's wedding. And I would written tons of jokes to put into the speech. And I was just super nervous. So I was just running the jokes on my way to, to and from work on the subway for like weeks. And then the wedding day came. It was a huge wedding. It was 300 people. Um, I got there. I was like so nervous. And the speech just killed. It was like electric. I felt like I was like high on something. (laughs) It was so much. 300 people laughing is a loud sound.
0: And had you done anything like that before?
1: No, I was actually pretty afraid of public speaking. Wow, I'd taken public speaking in college just to try to get over that fear. Sure. And I really enjoyed it, but I was still, yeah, that was enough of that. So you get,
0: I assume, good feedback right after that. Oh,
1: I was at the star of the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> they're like pushing the bride aside. I was like, this is my show. It was great. It. Yeah. People come up to me, they're like, that was so funny. Do you do stand-up comedy? I was like, no. And they're like, that was hilarious. Like all the, wet, all the, everyone's relatives were coming up to me. It was amazing. That's good. What'd you do after that? Here's the thing. So I killed on that speech, my first time up doing any kind of comedy at all. But it took me a year to get up the nerve Mm -hmm. to go to the open mic and try it for real. And then I did after like a year of all starts. What I used to do is I used to go to this um, open mic right here in Park Slope at this place called Bar 4, which mm-hmm. is now gone. And I would put my name in the bucket and then I would wait all night to go on. And then right before the last few names were called, then I would just, just leave. leave. <laughs> I would bike home the to, to Crown Heights. It was in the middle of the winter time; It was freezing. And I would just be kicking myself like, what's wrong with you? It doesn't sure, mean anything. Sure. It's an open mic. Sure. Just go up. And then finally, after doing that three times, uh-huh. I went back and I actually went up and it went pretty well.
0: When you're in the room, you're doing stand-up comedy, I mean, mm-hmm. its I imagine it's a little hit or miss sometimes with jokes, especially if you're pushing miss. out the envelope, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, so when you first start, you have no opportunity to perform, so you just do open mics, which mm-hmm. are basically just these little informal gatherings of comedians just listening to each other's jokes. Nowadays, you have to pay five bucks and buy a drink to mm-hmm. perform at open mic. When mm-hmm. I was started, they were like almost all free. But back then, that was my only opportunity to perform. So I put so much emphasis, so much pressure on every single one. I would get so nervous. I would go to the bathroom like five times. It was crazy. I'd be nervous all day, and then mm. afterwards, I would feel so wired. Yep. And then I realized I had such bad stage fright that I had to go full immersion to get over the fear. My second year in comedy, I set the goal of going up on stage at open mics at least eight or nine times a week. Oh, wow. So I would do That's multiple open mics per night. Huh. until late night and then get up in the morning. I was walking dogs at the time, yeah. and I just kept at it. and That's cool. After a while, I started to feel more and more comfortable.
0: What type of uh, humor would you say you, uh, you have?
1: I think it's observational, biographical. I talk about my background. Mm-hmm. I talk about politics, race. Mm-hmm. I talk about just things that happen to me every day, just dating stuff, it, just sure. my life basically, yeah.
0: Did anybody inspire you? Is there a, a, t- a comedian that you've looked up mm-hmm. to? Well, when I was
1: a kid, I mean, Chris Rock was just like sure. the biggest thing, yeah. and I just knew I mean, all. Eddie Murphy, right? I mean, that Eddie was, Murphy was the first one I sort of watched. My cousin had all those tapes, and then uh, Chris Rock. But when I started to get interested in actually doing comedy, I loved going to clubs, and I, I loved watching Amy Schumer. And Hannibal mm-hmm. Buress was like a really big influence.
0: So do you find a different humor in different cities or different kind of parts of the country?
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a weird thing now, especially when you, if you talk about politics at all. It can be very interesting because Mm -hmm. my favorite time I've ever been on stage, I guess, in the last, at least for the last couple of years, I did a show right on the border Mm -hmm. of Jersey and Pennsylvania Mm -hmm. a few months after Trump got elected. And it was at a winery and there's like 300 people there, almost all white, almost all in their 60s and 70s, -hmm. mostly Trump supporters. One Mm -hmm. of the best sets I've ever had. Really? Yeah. I was like, the longest I've done, I think it was like 32 minutes. Interesting. Ended my set with seven straight anti-Trump jokes. They all hit. Uh, it was electric, such a great crowd.
0: Why do you think it worked out so well? Because you I were, thing think as, as long yeah.
1: as you're authentically yourself mm-hmm. and you're funny, you can say whatever you want up there and so, people, people just would be like, this guy is just so brash and so himself. And that's, so, I mean, that's that's what came across, I think.
0: So do you think that either you've got it or you don't when it comes to humor and, and being funny? Or uh, is it something that you can definitely work on no matter what your starting point is?
1: It's interesting. So, What I've seen is that some people look at stand-up as um, these kind of word puzzles. And you can definitely learn the forms to make these word puzzles make people laugh. But what sets people apart in terms of being real killers on stage, I find, is just the performance aspect. Really putting that energy and that connectiveness with the crowd and just performing the joke. But I just enjoy watching people who kind of like just perform it. You know, and even in all those people, you'll, you, if you saw their jokes written down, you'd be like, what is this? This is garbage. But then you see them do it and it's so funny because Whoa. it's just them. That make, they're, I, they're funny in it.
0: I saw Jerry Seinfeld about a year ago mm-hmm. in stand up and I guess I'd been so used to seeing him on TV that I forgot he's, he's out there really performing. Yeah, it's high had, energy. I mean, I was, I was really, I was surprised by that.
1: Gotham is one of my favorite places to perform. I go up there probably twice a month and I think maybe half of the last. 10 shows I've done, have been either on Monday or Tuesday, and he's dropped in. It's his home club. He's um, very good friends with the owners. So it's known that every Monday or Tuesday, probably the eight o'clock show, Jerry will come in and he'll do anything from 20 to 30 minutes. And he's, he's one of the best. I mean, he's just such a master at it. And the crowd is so excited every time they see him. I thankfully haven't had to follow him yet, because that'll happen soon. I've had to go write and perform, which is great. It's a great spot. <laughs> We're deep in the wintertime, but my favorite is the spring. Cause in the spring, I get to do my favorite thing. And that's go to a baseball game, take out my iPad and watch a basketball game. <laughs> Why would I waste all that perfectly good ambiance on a baseball game? <laughs> The NBA is back, man. The NBA is in full swing. I love it. I love NBA basketball players, man. Cause NBA basketball players are very good at false modesty, right? But there's one thing LeBron always says that cracks me up every time. He's always like, I'm not even supposed to be here. I'm just a poor kid from Akron. I'm not even supposed to be here. And I'm like, word. you're a six nine you can jump over the backboard and you have a tattoo that says the chosen one pretty sure you're supposed to be here there's no one in the world who's more where they're supposed to be than lebron james on a basketball court
0: one of the fears i would have if i had to go up there mm-hmm. is that i would say a joke and it would just bomb well, or that i happens would a have lot. a series of jokes <laughs> and it would be just a train yeah. wreck mm-hmm. i'm sure that happens to the best i'm sure it's happened to you so
1: what is that like i'll tell you two things one it is terrible <laughs> <laughs> it does not feel good um it happens. I mean, I'm I'm working on a bunch of new things right now. you hopefully you're yeah. always working on some new things. Do you beta test it in a way? Like, do you just yeah, go to your friends guess, and say I'm trying out this joke? Or I'll tell I'll like run jokes. What I do is I run jokes by a couple of close comedian friends, and that helps a lot. Um, I go to open mics a few times a week, and I also go perform at these bar shows that are you know mostly unpaid spots. by trying try new material. I have my own show once a month in Crown Heights at this workspace. That's nice. really fun. And I do all the material there every month. So Mm -hmm. a lot of it's very nerve-wracking. Some Mm -hmm. of the stuff is stuff I've never even said on stage before. (laughs) And I see, I mean, that usually goes pretty decently because it's my house.
0: Yeah, they come knowing what to expect.
1: Yeah, and they know that people are working stuff out. There's a free Mm -hmm. show, they can free Mm -hmm. drinks. (laughs) The people on the show are funny, but there will be some jokes that won't work because they're brand new. How often
0: do you go up there and you improvise?
1: A little bit. I've been get, becoming more and more comfortable with that, and that's going to be another step to like sure. getting better and better because sure. you want to be more comfortable to be able to improvise in the moment. Uh huh. And that's that's become a really fun thing to do.
0: Do you think about doing um, TV, or do you like? Do you really like the stand-up format?
1: I love stand-up, but the TV stuff and writing has been really fun. I was a head writer at, for live music trivia uh, apps, mm-hmm. and that was for a year and a half, and it was great. It's just the the stability of it, the teamwork of it, just being paid to write funny things every day. was really great. Sure. So I'm always applying to writing jobs. My good buddy and I are pitching our um, podcast, F and Up, as a TV show. Mm -hmm. So we've been doing that for the last like a year. Very cool. And if that comes to to pass, we'll both be performing and writing.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, when you are just hanging out, you're with friends, Mm -hmm. or say you meet somebody new for the first time. Yeah. I'd imagine. Is there a pressure th- when they know find out you're a comedian that you've you know have to be funny in the moment, or do you not find mm. that it really happens?
1: It's so funny that um you say that because I find that I feel no compulsion to be funny uh, ever unless I'm on stage. Interesting, and that's the opposite of how I used to be. And I think it's because you just get worn out from listening to yeah. so much comedy, especially at open mics. When I mean, you know, I've only been in like the higher kind of like a higher professional level for the last couple of years before that I was just pretty much performing for free almost all the time sure. and doing open mics so you just listen to so much bad comedy <laughs> that I think it kind of beats the the laugh out of you right, right. like it's so hard to make me laugh now uh-huh. but the good part is you at least the way it's happened for me is I I'm just way less of a performer off stage which I think is just a better way to be yeah because the, to me there's three kinds of comedians off stage there's semi-normal because none of us are normal. Is that a normal thing to do, <laughs> yeah. to want to get on stage yeah. in front of a bunch of strangers and make yeah. them laugh. There's always on, which is like the worst yeah, kind. Yeah, I could step in a little obnoxious. Because right? they're just always performing. Yeah. Even in the green room, in the back room, when we're going ready to go on stage, they're telling jokes to their comedians. And yeah. it's like, chill. Yeah. We know. We're all funny. We're here for a reason. <laughs> and then there is the painfully socially awkward. So... Yeah. I pride myself of being semi-normal. The downside of it, though, i found is that sometimes I'll be on dates and I'm like, wow, I am bombing. Sure, I'm sure. so boring well, yeah, right now yeah. because I just have, again, no, I feel no pressure to be funny ever unless I'm on stage. Yeah.
0: Has the audience, you said you've been doing this for eight years. I mean, yeah. is, is the the way comedians interact with the audience, is it, would you say that's changing um, how the audience, kind of the role they feel like, are they more assertive say, over time?
1: Definitely even since I've started, people feel more at liberty to speak out during shows. Why do you think that is? I think it's because of social media. Everyone has their own little cover of the New York Times that they write on every day on Twitter or yeah. on Instagram. It makes them more empow- feel more empowered to share their thoughts all the time, even when it's not appropriate. Like when someone is on the stage with a microphone who's been paid to share their thoughts. Right. Have you ever been heckled? Maybe like a, f- a handful of times a year, and even then, it's just people trying to be supportive but being annoying. Hmm. I mean, it's usually someone who's had too much to drink, sure, um, or just a person who just not used to going to comedy shows and just literally doesn't understand that they're not supposed to be talking. Hmm. And that's a, you, it. Sounds strange, but that's a real person who goes to shows. Mm-hmm. It's like someone who's just been dragged to show by someone else, and they'll be in the front row just on their phone. Interesting, or just yeah. like talking to the person next to them. Just like, yeah, you got to be quiet. <laughs> like, this isn't TV. Yeah, I'm right, a real person. Right, 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 <laughs> you have right. to explain. It's, it's, it's one of those things. It never ceases to amaze me, but it, it always happens.
0: Do you see... So... Do you think um, stand up, like going in person? Do you think that is a, a timeless art in a way? I mean, you know, we, yeah. we see so much. Obviously, everything changes with technology, mm-hmm. and, how, and how you kind of, I've heard you say it in a way a few times. Bring up technology as sure. changing people's kind of behaviors and their habits, even in the audience. Do you think that? Um, do, do what do you think about that?
1: I think that as time goes on, the live show mm-hmm. will become the most important part of comedy even more than it is now because basically the now you're seeing a lot of people put their stuff online and the the different um places that distribute comedy and content in general online are having a, a real moment of grappling with how are they how they're gonna like decide what gets to be on their platform. A lot of my friends are putting clips of their stand-up on Instagram, right? Yeah. And if Instagram ha- is having to decide what is appropriate right. to be on Instagram, beyond language, just what's offensive, right? Yeah. So I've had friends who've been shadow banned, huh. which is this weird thing that not a, pe- a lot of people know I about. I don't even know what that means. What it means is that the folks at Instagram will decide that your content is inappropriate hmm. and they won't tell you, but what they'll do is they'll make Depends it harder. The shadow. They they'll make it them. harder and harder for people to find you. So this guy, I know, Andrew Schultz, super funny comic. He really pushes, he only talks about hot button issues. He's super funny. He's kind of changed the business, basically. He decided a couple of years ago to just start putting all this material out for free on YouTube and Instagram Mm -hmm. and monetizing by having sponsors for his podcast and for now this company called Patreon. You can get paid basically directly from fans. And it's really changed the way people are doing business. He turned down Netflix recently. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's like on a different level. Hmm. But his material is very edgy and is very like controversial. So for a few months, he was just shadow banned. You basically, wow. you type in his name in the search bar, and it just wouldn't come up. Interesting. Until you know, until he didn't know? Did they tell you? or He found out eventually because fans kept saying, we can't find you. So, oh, But Instagram itself doesn't tell. No. Uh, int- huh. So his fans would type type his name in, and then you scroll a couple of pages, huh. and he's he's like blue check mark verified. Mm-hmm. Like he was on um he was on the guy code, so he's already yeah. had a huge fan base. So usually you type someone who's famous and, and pop, Instagram, they and pop up the first top, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was throttled down to the bottom, 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 hmm. bottom. You have to scroll three pages to find him and that's shadow banning.
0: And is that something you can appeal? Did he have to no. that? No.
1: He got unshadow banned <laughs> because he went on the Joe Rogan, <laughs> Rogan podcast. And Rogan is so powerful. And they had
0: no choice. They were, Rogan was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> and then like
1: a couple of days later, he was mysteriously unshadow banned. Funny. But now he's doing a show in California this month with a bunch of other comedians who've also been shadow banned. They're yeah. calling it the shadow Band show.
0: Yeah, that, that's good. Yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. When it comes to controversial <laughs> jokes, how do you feel Cause some mm-hmm. people think, you know what, when it comes to comedy, that's a venue where you have to let go. Others think like you definitely apply a line. Mm-hmm. How do you approach that when it, when you're preparing jokes and and also when you
1: observe your like your peers? Sure. I mean, I think you always want to just be mindful of what you're saying, but for me, the bottom line has to always be funny first. Is what I'm saying funny? Because a lot of times what's funny is not right. You know what I mean? Like, the seed of every joke comes from something that's a little bit messed up, that's a little bit wrong, like on the honeymooners. Oh, I love my, my mother-in-law. It was always my mother-in-law, this <laughs> one over here. It's, it's always a little kernel of something bad, and you're trying okay. to twist it into something funny. Uh-huh. And I think that's what people don't realize. Like, like, make light of it, in a way. Yeah, and not just that. A lot of times, you'll see these kind of mini-controversies that bubble up, and they come from, sometimes someone will be taping someone unbeknownst to them, and they're working on a joke, and it's not even a joke yet. So now, I love a lot of these comedians now, the big ones at least, like like Kevin Hart and Dave Chappelle, they're doing these yonder bags where you have to put your phone into this bag that locks and will not unlock until you step outside of the venue. Ah, oh, funny. Comedy, the comedy seller does a thing where they give you a paper bag and they staple it, they staple your phone inside of it, and if they see you with your phone out, you're just kicked out immediately. And that's the best, because just complete freedom, one, for people to pay attention. Because back in the day, people would just sit there and just listen Actually and watch the listen, comedy, yeah. right? But now you look around at most clubs, there's like tons of people on their phones. It distracts me if they start being distracting with the phone. I see. So they'll start people start talking on the phone. People will check their email on their watch, and huh. you see them doing that. And also the brightness of the phone on yeah, their right. face, so that's distracting. So it's, it's a it's a problem, and I hope that more clubs adopt this policy of you can't use your phone because mm-hmm. you're human beings up there. I have some friends who are actors, and mm-hmm. whenever I think
0: about their profession, I, I think of it being as very tiring mm-hmm. because it's, it's emotionally draining. It's physically draining. Um, you have to travel a lot. Your schedule is unpredictable. Uh, I'd imagine this the same for stand-up comedy.
1: Oh, yeah. Almost everyone I know who works in stand-up has another job either in entertainment mm-hmm. or a day job. Because you just have to, to kind of make ends meet and also just to keep the whole, for me, keeping my sanity. Sure. The, I mean, I would just, I don't think I'd like to just do stand up uh-huh. because it, the, the, all the free time during the day, it's not good for me. I need to have something else going on.
0: It's also a lot of solitary time when you're developing the mm-hmm. jokes.
1: A um, lot of solitary, Do huh? you have like a, a mentor or coach who kind of helps you? It's funny. My friend Mike, a uh, super funny stand-up who just stopped doing it a couple of years ago. He just couldn't take it emotionally. He was just like, this is too much. He was like, yeah. you know what? I'm leaving comedy, and it was fun, but I'm done with it. I'm going to go into sales. And he's yeah. a great salesman now. He I does bet. really well for himself. But he still loves being around comedy, so he'll come with me to my shows, and like he'll give me notes. We'll talk cool. jokes, cool. and it's really nice.
0: That's great. Yeah. So we were talking beforehand, and you were saying that you're going on tour soon. Yeah. Tell us about that.
1: So I started working with a group called Comedy for Peace. It's uh, Muslim comedians and Jewish comedians performing together uh, for different religious organizations on college campuses. Mm-hmm. And we had our first couple shows a few weeks ago. It went They went great. And now we're going to be going to California. And I think we're going to be going, like, hopefully state by state. And it's been so much fun so far. I bet.
0: Do, yeah. you, tailor, uh, do you tailor kind of your... Um your bit in a way to cuz college they're younger right do you kind of flex in a different direction
1: for that i mm-hmm. try to just make material that can they can cut across a bunch of different kinds of people yeah but yeah. there are some things you have to kind of be aware of because College students, they just haven't experienced a lot of things. Yeah. So if you're doing a bunch of jokes about the workplace. They want to appreciate it the or way about, the others yeah, work. Yeah, or about serious relationships. They're going to be like, what? <laughs> they're just not there yet, right? It's like, you know how when your boss, they're like, what's a boss? You know, <laughs> right. so they're, yeah, you kind of have to like, you can make fun of them a little bit. They're pretty good natured, which is which is great. The funny thing is a lot of the kids who go, to, who go and see you at a college campus, this might be their first time ever seeing comedy live. Funny. So yeah. they don't even know what's supposed to be right. happening. So right. it's very interesting right. that right. way right. too. Yeah.
0: I saw that you were on Conan O'Brien. Yeah. A little while ago. Yeah. What was that like? Was that nerve-wracking?
1: It, it actually wasn't. It was a, the strangest year of my life. So basically in 2017, I tore my patella tendon in my left knee mm-hmm. twice in these crazy freak accidents. As that was happening, I was being looked at by a uh, entertainment agency and I was in consideration to mm-hmm. be on a showcase for Conan. But mm-hmm. I just kept tearing my knee. I kept <laughs> like getting injured, but it was fun. It was it was, yeah, it was had fun. It go. It went great. Um, I I did really well on the show. Conan had very specific, nice compliments about the jokes oh, afterwards. Cool. And then Dennis Leary backstage was very very cool. Uh, he was no like way. really a big fan of what I He's did. He's a legend. Zone, yeah, right, right that now. was like the best part of the whole thing. Actually, very just cool. him meeting him, but him being such a big fan of what I had done on stage and me being a huge fan of his was great. Yeah. And then I have a childhood friend, actually Sean Walters, my buddy from mm. first day at Berkeley Carroll. Oh wow. He we met when we were fourteen. He wow. came. He flew out to L.A. To go to the taping and he he went to my first cool. he went to my second open mic ever. Huh. So he saw me in my second open mic and then he saw me do Conan like uh-huh. a few years. It's crazy. Must for him it must be insane. Because nice. he saw me when I was terrible. <laughs> I was like I'll <laughs> be like,
0: Well, your first go at it though, people said you weren't terrible, right? Women be shopping. I was <laughs> terrible. I was so bad.
1: And he's like, he's like, it's really cool to see this journey. So do you
0: have any like goals in mind, things you want to do going yeah. forward that we should keep a lookout for?
1: Definitely. So the and Up podcast mm-hmm. is uh, a weekly podcast about manners, etiquette, and how we can all do better. It's nice. a comedy podcast I do with my buddy LeCurk Andre, a very funny comic who was on this night show last year. Mm-hmm. And we're pitching that as a TV show, so hopefully look out for that next right. year. And I have a show called Electric Laughs mm-hmm. every first Saturday at Work Heights in Crown Heights. is a co-working space. I turn into a comedy venue once a month every first Saturday. That's really fun. Very free cool. admission, free drinks. We have a great lineup of comics. who have been on TV always really fun. And then, uh, yeah, I'll be with comedy for peace doing tours. Uh, I guess hopefully all next year with college campuses yeah, on college campuses. And I'm excited for that.
0: All right. So we'll yeah. keep a lookout for it. Thanks for joining us on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks. Khalid is performing live on March 19th at Caroline's comedy club in Manhattan. He'll also be featuring at D.C. Comedy Loft in Washington, D.C. on April 3rd through the 5th. You can follow him on Instagram at Khalid Says to see what projects he's currently working on, including other performances near you. Beyond B.C. is a production of the Berkeley Carroll School's Alumni Office. It's hosted and produced by Me, Tim Quinn, and executive produced and edited by Jamie O'Regan. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time as we share more alumni stories beyond B.C.